Great day to everyone, brothers and sisters in the faith. We are truly happy to have you join us in this study of the words of God. As you know, in the Bible History Project, we take the time to kind of really analyze and look deeply into the passages of Scripture sequentially, beginning with Genesis all the way to Exodus, and we went to Daniel, then to Revelation, now we're back to, we went back to Joshua, and now we are in the book of Judges. And so we're at the tail end of the book of Judges, and we're going to be discussing all about chapter 17 to 18. Now take note before we go ahead and jump into the actual passages, that theologically chapter 17 to 21, the last chapters of the book of Judges, constitute an epilogue. So it's not part of the narrative of the book of Judges. It's an epilogue which gives illustrations of the religious apostasy that took place and was at work during the days of the Judges. Because of the religious apostasy, there was social degradation, and pretty much this summed up the people during the days of Judges. So what we're going to read, 17 to 21, beginning with 17 to 18, these events likely took place shortly after the death of Joshua. And so Micah 17 to 18, it depicts the story of how one's personal idolatry eventually led to official idolatry. And so we're going to see and trace how this all took place so that we can prevent ourselves from following a path of idolatry, right? Because we don't want to follow a path of idolatry. However, because we are human beings, sometimes we are not able to discern the path of idolatry and unwittingly walk that path that leads to destruction. So what we need to know is how we can learn from this story of Micah's idols and how it became official idolatry. So let's begin in the book of Judges 17, 1 down to 2, there was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you place a, I heard you place a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. Yahoo will bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. Already at the get-go, you can see a lot of apostasy. You can see there's moral depravity. Because in the opening um, scene in the book of Judges, we have a person named, named Micah. What does he do? He steals from his own mother. And what he stole was 1,100 pieces of silver. 10 pieces of silver, that amounts to an annual wage for a typical laborer during that time. So he, she was pretty wealthy, and he took a lot of money. That's a lot of money that Micah stole from his own mother. And so the mother places a curse on whoever stole it. And then Micah says, I'm the one who stole your money. And the mother says, oh, no problem. Yeah, who will bless you for admitting it? And so we can see here that there's gross moral uh, degradation taking place. But it gets worse. Take a look at verse 3. He returned the money to her which is a good thing. And she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to Yahuwah. In honor of my son, I will have an image carved and an idol cast. And so the mother 
felt bad. Perhaps she was worried because the curse that she cast upon the one who stole the, the silver coins would indeed be cursed, and it happens to be her own son. She doesn't want that, and so she wants to make amends. And so now she dedicates the coins to honor Yahuwah, but the way she does it is not appropriate. What does she do? She made an image, a carved image, and an idol that is made of silver or made of stone or made of metal. So she created basically two kinds of images, a carved image and a cast idol. And so what does she do? In verse 4, so when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. Remember what the Bible says. We are not supposed to make any images. We're not supposed to make any idols. This was part of how many commandments? Ten commandments. And so we know Micah and Micah's mother and perhaps the entire household, they were not reading the word of God. They did not know the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah. And so that's the beginning of apostasy. When you reject the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah, when you do not know the word of God. And so perhaps Micah's mother had good intentions. Perhaps Micah was truly repentant. But by the way by which they went, went, went about fulfilling what they wanted to accomplish, it was against the will of God. So what does Micah do when the idols were given to him? In 17.5, Micah set up a shrine for the idol. So it's like a makeshift altar, a makeshift place of worship on his own. And he made a sacred ephod. Remember the ephod? This is what the priests wore when they would fulfill their duties. It represented the authority of the priest. And so he makes a sacred ephod and some household idols. Then he installed one of his sons as his personal priest. Now, Micah came from what tribe? Ephraim. Priests were supposed to come from what tribe? Levites. Not only must they come from the tribe of Levi, they had to be direct descendants of Aaron. They had to be descendants of Aaron. And so his son does not qualify. And so you cannot simply appoint a personal priest. And so he understands that the people of Israel operate according to the priesthood. That's what he knew about his religion. But he did not know his religion well. You see, when we do not know what we believe and the things that we do, eventually we make choices that create an expression of our faith, which is not according to the true faith. And so what Micah is doing is he's mixing up different religions, the idolatry that comes from the pagans. And the priesthood and the idea of the priesthood that comes from his religion, supposedly. The Israel, the Hebrew religion. But he doesn't fully understand the Hebrew religion. So he mixes it with pagan religion, which is what surrounded the people there in Canaan. And so this is what we call a syncretism. 
right? This is when you synthesize or mix different elements of religion and create like a hybrid religion. And when it comes to the religion, Micah set up for himself, it included the sacred ephod. The ephod comes from the Hebrew religion. And the priest comes from the Hebrew religion. But it also mentions that he has a shrine of idols and household idols. It turns out the Hebrew word for that is teraphim. And the word teraphim is a kind of idol, object of reverence, and means of divination. And so the pagans would use a teraphim, an idol, so that they can find divination that leads to prosperity because they were looking after the things that would make them prosperous. And the teraphim were the ones you would go to. You would pray to these idols of teraphim if you want to be blessed by the so-called gods. And so what he eventually developed was superstition and syncretism that was the basis of his personal religion that he concocted. <laughs> so he concocted his own version of his own religion. And he took different elements of different religions and he synthesized that together to form his own religion. Beloved brethren, that happened not just during the days of Micah, it happens all the time, right? For example, in Japan, did you know in Japan, there are different religions there? There's the religion of Shinto, Buddhism, Confucianism, Christianity. They're all present in Japan. However, many Japanese often follow parts of each religion because they could gain benefit from, from it. And so what they do is they take different parts of these different religions, just like what Micah did. He took an idea about the priesthood and he altered it to fit what to fit his situation. He took the idea of the ephod, altered it to fit his situation, and then he adopted the religion of the people he was surrounded by. And so he created his own religion out of syncretism and superstition. And why did he do this? Why did many people during those days do this? That's because the theme of the book of Judges is mentioned here in verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It's a dangerous thing when we decide to follow what we think is right in our own eyes. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do what is right in the eyes of Abba Yahuwah, not according to what we think is right according to our own eyes. And so here is Micah. He sets up a shrine. He has idols and images, teraphim. He has a sacred ephod. He appoints his son to become what? A priest. And so what happens after that? Let's read seven down to nine. One day, a young Levite. Want to pause there for a while. Is it possible that a Levite can be a priest? Yeah if he is a descendant of Aaron. So here's a Levite one day who had been living in Bethlehem and Judah, arrived in that area in Ephraim, okay, in the hill country of Ephraim. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. Here we can already see that this Levite 
Well, he's not really a true Levite, is he? Because he left his post. Levites are supposed to work where? In the tabernacle. In this case, it was supposed to be in Shiloh. That was where the tabernacle was set up. And so he was supposed to be there. But at this point, he just decided to go his own way. He was looking for a place to live. And he runs, he comes across Micah. He sees Micah's house. He goes to Micah. He's asked, where are you from? And he says, I'm a Levite. And what do you think happened in the mind of Micah? Hmm, I don't need to have my son to become a priest. I can have a real priest, right? And so what does he say? Stay here with me, Micah said. And you can be a father and priest to me. I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons. We know Micah's pretty rich because his mother's pretty rich. Because it seemed like nothing when Micah's mother lost 1,100 pieces of silver. And so 10 pieces of silver out of 1,100, that's nothing, right? Spare change. And so he could afford, he could afford his Levite. And the Levite, because he was a hireling, he said, yes, I will be your personal priest. But obviously, he cannot be a true priest. He was a false priest. And so what does Micah do? Well, so Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest. And he lived in Micah's house. I know Yahuwah will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my Priest, beloved brethren, this is an example of a, a person making himself making himself feel safe, making himself feel secure, making himself feel okay, because he says to himself, I have a religion. I'm doing something good, even though what he's actually doing is not according to the will of Yahuwah. It's based on superstition and syncretism, but Micah found security. At least he thought. <laughs> Micah thought he found security in his false religion. And there are many people who are like that. They don't pursue religion for the purpose of establishing a relationship with Jehovah and Yahushua. They pursue a religion because they want to feel safe. Right? They want to feel accomplished. It's like one of the things to do that they can check off their checklist or task list. And so... That was his religion. He wanted to make himself feel better because he belonged to a religion. At least he can say to his, to his inner being, I'm practicing religion. I'm doing my part. I'm okay. I'm okay. But it's based on a superstition and syncretism. It's based on false religion. So he feels, he said, he feels blessed. After all, he's got prosperity. And now he's got spiritual backing of his prosperity. So he feels really sad. He feels really good. So many people today feel like that. And so they hide under the guise of the religion. But what happens after this? Well, it goes to Judges chapter 18, 1 down to 2. Now in those days, Israel had no king. Again, the refrain of the theme of not having a king and people doing what they want, what they do according to their own eyes. And the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle, for they had not yet moved into the land assigned to them when the land was divided among the tribes of Israel. So the men of Dan chose from their clans five capable warriors from the towns of Zorah and Eshtaol, 
to scout out a land for them to settle in. And these warriors arrived in the hill country of Ephraim. They came to Micah's house and spent the night there. So here we have the tribe of Dan. You notice what the Bible says about the tribe of Dan. They have not yet moved into the land assigned to them when the land was divided among the tribes of Israel. When they entered the promised land, Yahuwah God told, tells Joshua, assign the tribes their land. And so they threw lots. Remember to cast lots to determine what parts of the land they would receive. And once they identify the parcels of land to be given to these tribes, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to drive out the people living in those parcels of land so that they can occupy that land and proclaim the name of Yahuwah and establish the true worship of Yahuwah. That was the purpose of Israel. That's why Yahuwah gave them the promised land. It would be the center by which the name of Yahuwah would be propagated so that people will know and worship Yahuwah. So they were supposed to drive out all the enemies out of the land and establish the religion of Israel, the true religion practiced by the people of God. But they did not yet move into the land assigned to them. You know why? Because they could not overcome their enemies. They were too lazy or unwilling or unfaithful. They could not take the steps necessary to drive the people out of the land because that required warfare. That required that they would have to risk their life. That would require that they would have to go battle. They have to do something. They did not want that. They wanted a convenient faith. They wanted a faith that they didn't have to do anything. And so they did not yet move into the land assigned to them. The land assigned to them, if you notice, is that sliver, that land, a small parcel of land west of Ephraim. Do you see it right there? They were supposed to occupy that land, drive the people away who were the enemies of God. And so the tribe of Dan was given land, but they found no, but they found their own land too hard to conquer. They could not overcome the enemies there. So what did they try to do? Well, if we go back to Judges 18, it says the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle. The place given to us, we don't like it. It's too difficult to overcome. Let's look for other lands. And so what did they do? They sent out scouts. How many? Five capable warriors. What were they supposed to do? Well, they were to scout the land so that they can find a place that's easy to conquer and is flowing with milk and honey. They did not want the land that was given to them because the people who lived there, they could not overcome and conquer them. And so here is where the people of Dan was supposed to go. And so they sent out scouts from Eshtaol and Zora, five scouts, right? And from there, they wound up in a place, the hill country of Ephraim. And guess who lives in the hill country of Ephraim? Because that's the first place they kind of camped at or stopped at after they left Eshtaol and Zora. That's where they first wound up in, right? Because they're going to scout for better lands to occupy. And so they bump, they go to the hill country of Ephraim, and they come across who? Micah. 
Micah and his house, they go there. They must have had a big house. They probably were really rich. And so they go to Micah's house and they spend the night there. And they noticed something when they were there. What was that? Well, at Micah's house, they recognized the young Levite's accent. So they went over and asked him, who brought you here and what are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them about his agreement with Micah and that he had been hired as Micah's personal priest. And so when the five scouts spend the night at Micah's house, they notice right away there's this individual whose accent exposed that he was a Levite. And so they asked, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be there at Shiloh or the other designated places for priests, but not here. Why are you here? Oh, I'm a hired priest. I'm the personal priest of Micah. And so instead of testing that idea, is this right? Is this appropriate? Can there be such a thing as a personal priest? Is this the right thing? They did not test that, did they? They simply accepted it. And so because there was a priest, what did they say to this priest? Then they said, ask God whether or not our journey will be successful. Go in peace, the priest replied, for Yahuwah is watching over your journey. So how do they feel? Here's a priest. And this priest gives a prophecy. The prophecy is go in peace because who's watching over your journey? Yahuwah. In other words, they would be successful. And so these five scouts who probably did not know or were in a place of uncertainty. They had no idea if they can even find the land, right? They have no idea where they can go and make that place a land of their own. They were simply sent out to scout the land, looking for a place to conquer. And then this priest gives them encouragement. Yahuwah is watching over your journey. So the five scouts receive a prophecy from a false priest based on the idols of Micah. The Teraphim probably were the ones that they consulted, remember? And so they acted on that. They acted on a false prophecy given by a false priest. And so they were given confidence. And as they left and they went looking for land, guess what they found? Let's read 7 to 8. So the five men went on to the town of Laish, where they noticed the people living carefree lives. Wow, the people looked happy in this piece of land, in Laish. Laish happens to be north, north, up north, the, the farthest north. You can, not really the farthest north, but it's up there, okay? Like the Sidonians, because if you remember, the land given for Dan, it was in the south by Ephraim. This is way up north. Okay, so they wound up up north, the town of Laish, and they noticed that people uh, were living carefree lives like the Sidonians. They were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was very fertile, excited. And so they perhaps were thinking the prophecy is being fulfilled, right? They're thinking to themselves, the prophet and the prophecy are true. They are from God. Because is this coincidence that we find this fertile land 
that made the people there live carefree lives and were wealthy? Not only that, take a look at this. And they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. What does that mean? They can be easily conquered, right? When the men returned to Zorah and Eshtaol, their relatives asked them, what did you find? And so now they had a good report. And they said to the, to the relatives back in Dan, back south with their relatives, the men replied, come on. <laughs> They're excited. It's like they found gold. Let's attack them. We have seen the land. It's very good. What are you waiting for? Don't hesitate to go and take possession of it. When you get there, you will find the people living carefree lives. God has given us spacious and fertile land, lacking in nothing. And so now they're believing. Now they're acting out of faith because they really believe. Because of the prophecy, because of the priests, they really believe, right? That this is given to them by who? By God. And so they know they're going to succeed. So what do they do? Well, so 600 men from the tribe of Dan armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtaol. They camped to the place west of Kiriath-Jerim in Judah, which is called Mahane Dan to this day. And so, because they were filled with excitement and anticipation, because they firmly believed that what the false prophet, the false Levite said to them, that Yahuwah will bless them, that Yahuwah is watching over them, they send 600 men from the tribe of Dan. And they fir their first stop was Kiriath-Jerim. And th that is where Kiriath-Jerim is. From Kiriath-Jerim, they go up north. And they wind up where? In the hill country of Ephraim. And guess who's there again? Micah. And so when they went to Micah's house, what did they do? Let's read 13 and 14. Then they went on from there into the hill country of Ephraim. And came to the house of Micah. The five men who had scouted out the land around Laish explained to the others, these buildings contain a sacred ephod, as well as some household idols, a carved image, and a cast idol. What do you think you should do? And the five men turned off the road and went over to Micah's house where the young Levite lived and greeted him kindly. As the 600 armed warriors from the tribe of Dan stood at the entrance of the gate, the five scouts entered the shrine and removed the carved image, the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the cast idol. Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with 600 armed warriors. And so why did they stop by Micah's house? Because they were attributing their success to what? These idols. That's why they went back. It was because of these idols that we found Laish. It was because of these idols that we were guided. And it is because of these idols that we're going to succeed. And so to give them reassurance, they will be victorious. What do they want to do? They want to get the idols for themselves. So that's what they did. They went to the house. They went to the shrine. They took all the, the idols, the ephod, and the priest was at the gate with the 600 armed warriors. And when the priest saw what they were doing, what did he say? When the priest saw the men carrying all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine, he said, what are you doing? Be quiet and come with us, he said. 
be a father and priest to us, to all of us. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe and clan of Israel than for the household of just one man? That was pretty convincing to the priest. And I think what also contributed to how, why he was easily convinced is because what is he going to do with 600 men? <laughs> right? He can't defend himself in, by himself against 600 men. And so the young priest was quite happy to go with them. So he took along the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the carved image. They turned and started on their way again, placing their children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. And so here's <laughs> the priest. Now he has a different master, right? The tribe of Dan is now their master. The five scouts, together with the 600 warriors of Dan, and they're going to go up and conquer Laish, and they feel good about it because they have the backing of this priest and they have the backing of these idols. And so what happened next? Let's read. When the people from the tribe of Dan were quite a distance from Micah's house, the people who lived near Micah came chasing after them. They were shouting as they caught up with them. The men of Dan turned around and said to Micah, what's the matter? Why have you called these men together and chased after us like this? Pretty obvious, right? Why Micah would get all, the, get all of his men chasing after the Danites. Why? What do you mean? What's the matter, Micah replied? You've taken away all the gods I have made and my priests, and I have nothing left. The men of Dan said, watch what you say. There are some short tempered men around here who might get angry and kill you and your family. So that was a threat. And so the men of Dan continued on their way. When Micah saw that there were too many of them for him to attack, he turned around and went home. So Micah lost his priest. Micah lost all of his idols. If I was Micah, I would repent and really turn to Yahuwah, right? Go to Shiloh. And ask for the guidance of the priests who were there so that he can repent and renew his life. Well, we don't know what happens to him, but we know what happens to his idols. And so here comes the Danites. Where are they going? North, right? They go north to a place called Laish. It was also called Leshem. Leshem and Laish are one and the same. So they go up north. And when they get there, what do they do? Then with Micah's idols and his priests, the men of Dan, came to the town of Laish. See, there's a reason why the Bible tells us with, with <coughs> Micah's idols and his priests, they were deriving their faith, their confidence in winning this battle because of the, the idols and the priests. So they come to the town of Laish, whose people were peaceful and secure. They attacked with swords and burned the town to the ground. There was no one to rescue the people, for they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. This happened in the valley near Beth Rehob. Then the people of the tribe of Dan rebuilt the town and lived there. And so they conquer the people in the town of Laish. And then they changed the name of the town from Laish to Dan, right? They renamed the town Dan after their ancestor, Israel's son. But it had originally been called Laish. This is why when we look at the map of Israel, there are two Dans. You notice that? There's the tribe of Dan. That was the allotted 
place for them. They were supposed to be brought together there, right? But not only were they brought together there, a, big, a bunch of them also went up north. You see north? There's another, there's a town called Dan, which used to be Laish, but it was turned to Dan, right? And so the town, Laish, became the town of Dan. So not only did they have a place in the south, they had also a place in the north, a town of Dan. And so when they were there in the town of Dan, what did they do when they carved images? And who did they appoint as their leader? You're going to be shocked. Here it is. Let's read verse 30. And they set up the carved image and they appointed Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. This family continued as priests for the tribe of Dan until the exile. Amazing, isn't it? The apostasy and how deep it ran into the thoughts and spirit of the people living, living during the days of the judges. Even the grandson of Moses, Jonathan, became the leader of this center of idolatry. Jonathan, son of Gershom, would be the perfect person to appoint as leader because of his pedigree. He was the grandson of Moses. And so he had clout. He would be a good rallying point by which to establish a new place or system of worship based on idolatry. Remember, the true place of worship back then was in Shiloh. The tabernacle was there. The priesthood was there. But they had their own in Dan, led by the grandson of Moses. So the tribe of Dan made idolatry official by setting up their own altar and appointing the grandson of Moses to be their priest. And so what did they do with Micah's images? So Micah's carved image was worshipped by the tribe of Dan as long as the tabernacle of God remained at Shiloh. So we had the true tabernacle of God in Shiloh. And at the same time, there was another place of worship in the tribe of Dan. And what were they worshipping? Carved images. The, the uh, false gods. The worship that was the result of syncretism and superstition. And who led them? Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses. And so we see how it went from personal idolatry to official idolatry, right? Because the tribe of Dan became the center of false worship, the center of idolatry. In fact, we can probably say this is the root of the idolatry that plagued the people of Israel and Judah. Remember how when they became a kingdom, during the days of judge, the judges, there was no kingdom yet, right? This was pre-kingdom times. And then the kingdom came. Remember the kingdom? Who was the first king? Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, right? During the days of Solomon, they became a kingdom that flourished. But after the death of Solomon, because of his idolatry, what happened to the kingdom? It was split. There was Jeroboam who occupied 10 tribes, and we have Rehoboam, who occupied the other two 
two, the other two tribes, right? And so we have the splitting up of the kingdom. Jeroboam up north, Rehoboam down south. And so the tribe of Dan, we know, becomes a center of false worship. And when we look at Dan itself and how it would serve as the very center of idol worship during the days of the kingdom, this is where it started. It started right here when Dan set up their own place of worship. And when you look at the history of Dan, you know, they were brought from the south and gathered in the north. That was like their prophecy from the false god. They were brought from the south and gathered in the north because you see they were supposed to, they were brought together in Dan. And then they sent people up north from south to north. Perhaps, perhaps the tribe of Dan claimed that their success was based on prophecy. And according to Micah's priests and idols, because they will say to themselves, was it a coincidence that after we visited this prophet, Micah's house, a personal prophet or personal priest, was it a coincidence that after that we come across this place called, place called Laish, and then we conquer this place called Laish, and now we have the grandson of Moses leading us? Is that coincidence? They will probably say to themselves, no, this is fulfillment of prophecy. Our success proves that we are the true people of God, right? And not only that, we find here the making of a cult. You have a leader who's the grandson of Moses, got pedigree, got a prophecy about their success. You got an altar, way of worship of your own. And so how do they build from this? It did not die out. What's the proof? Take a look. In the book of 1 Kings 12, 28, 31. So on the advice of his counselors, the king made two gold calves. Want to pause here for a while? Do you know who's the king that is referred to here? Jeroboam. Do you remember Jeroboam? He was the first king of the northern kingdoms. So we have the kingdom of the north, kingdom of the south. What's the name of the kingdom of the north? Israel. What's the name of the kingdom of the south? Judah. Where is the place of worship? Judah in the south. And so this new kingdom of the north, he was afraid. If the people under his leadership would always go to the south for worship, they might rebel against him. And so what did he want to do? He wanted to make sure that the people no longer have to go to Jerusalem or they would not have to go to worship in the south. They can just worship right here. And so what does he do? Let's read. He said to the people, it is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. <laughs> Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan at either end of his kingdom. And so the king is speaking to the people of Israel. And this leader is telling them, you know, no longer don't go to Jerusalem anymore. You can worship here. Now, if you were the people of Israel and you were listening to this king, you might be saying to yourself, well, God appointed him to be king, right? Is it true that God appointed Jeroboam to be king? Yes. In fact, the prophet was the one who told him that he was going to be the next king. God handpicked Jeroboam. The 
this is why the people of Israel, if they were listening to Jeroboam speaking, they would say, he was handpicked by God. God placed him to lead us. And so whatever he says, we will do. And so what does he say? Well, he says, don't go to, don't go to Jerusalem anymore. Just stay here. So he places these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan at either end of his kingdom. But this became a great sin for the people who worship the idols, traveling as far north as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam also erected buildings at the pagan shrines and ordained priests from the common people, those who were not from the priestly tribe of Levi. And so the people who were told by this king, don't worship Yahuwah in Jerusalem. Worship instead in Dan or in Bethel. Why? We have golden calves there. What did the people say? Amen. Blind followers. They did not test. They did not seek the counsel of who? Yahuwah. They did not want to know the truth. They simply accepted what was told them. Why? Because they were saying to themselves, he's the king. And God appointed him, so we must listen to him. Beloved brethren, we have to be careful. It doesn't matter what people say. What matters is what God says. This is why we need to always test to see whether or not what our leaders are telling us is actually the word of God. Because even if they are appointed by God, can they make mistakes? Yes. Do not place your trust in the leaders appointed by God. Place your trust in God who appointed thee. Leaders, how so? Seek the word of God. And so these people, they believe the king. And so because they believe the king, what happened to the people of Israel? They sinned. And Israel was conquered immediately by Assyria because of their idolatry. And the one to blame is the tribe of Dan. This is why when you read Revelation 7, 2 down to 4, about the other angel, uh, the, another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he would seal the different tribes of Israel. You know what tribe is missing? The tribe of Dan. Dan is the one that brought idolatry and became so bad that Yahuwah destroyed the people of Israel. And look at what, what the tribe of Dan was able to do. They erected buildings, building projects and shrines, places of worship all over the place. Perhaps they can say, look at our success. We have a prophecy. We were brought in the south and now gathered in the north. We have the prophecy and we have the grandson of Moses. And now we have the appointed King appointed by God, Jeroboam. So they have these building projects and they have ordinations. They would parade that. Look at all the ordained priests that we have. Look at all of our building projects. Look at our places of worship. Look at our prophecy and success. Beloved brethren, all that was the result of a false priest and false idols. From personal idolatry to official idolatry. But we need to ask ourselves, 
you know, it's so easy for us to fall into idolatry. So we need to know and ask ourselves, well, what was the root cause of the syncretism, the superstition, and the idolatry? We need to know what that is so that we don't end up walking the path of idolatry, right? We don't want to follow the way of idolatry. But it's not that easy to discern. Because when a person believes that this person is appointed by God, whatever they say, amen. It's not easy. So we have to break through that. And so what was the root cause? Well, let's read. Judges 17, 6 and 18 says, In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And in 18, it repeats it. Now in those days, Israel had no king. And so this passage where it says Israel had no king. Question, is it true that Israel had no king? It's not true. They did have a king, but they rejected their king. Who is their king? Yahuwah. But they did not want a king who is in heaven whom they cannot see. What did they want? They wanted a king that they can touch. They can manipulate. This is why images and idols are so prevalent. Because what can you do with images and idols? You can manipulate them. You can carry them. You can place them in here and there. You can control them. This is the root of idolatry. It's pride. They want to manipulate the God that they serve so that they can be blessed by the God that they serve without the punishment. That's idolatry. They don't want God. They cannot control. They cannot see. You cannot see God. You cannot control him. They don't want that. What they want is a God they can see. Because if you can see that God and hold that God, somehow, somewhere you can manipulate that God. A God made of stone. God made of wood. Pride and idolatry. They rejected the true king. They rejected Yahuwah. That's the root cause. This is why, beloved brethren, today, during our time, we have to be careful not to reject Yahuwah, not to reject Yahushua. We cannot say, I believe. You know, my religious leader, he is my true pastor. He is my true shepherd. We have to be careful, brethren. Do not reject Yahuwah. Do not reject Yahushua. And so because they rejected Yahuwah, what did they follow instead? They did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You know what that means? When people say they do whatever seemed right in their own eyes, that really refers to radical individualism. And this is what marked the times of the judges. People look to self for their guide to morality and ethics and religion and worship. It's much like what we have today. You've probably heard the motto, follow your heart. Let your heart be your guide. That can be a dangerous thing. After all, Hitler followed his heart. Did he not? Stalin followed his heart. Did he not? These dictators, they follow their heart. It's a dangerous thing when you say to a person, follow your heart. Modern culture regards this as the ideal state of society. We need to be careful because if we will follow what seems right in our own eyes, it will lead us to a whole lot of disruption. I mean, throughout the Bible, take a look at this. It seemed right to Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. It seemed right. That's what the Bible said. It seemed right to the eyes of the sons of Jacob to sell Joseph into slavery. It seemed right to the eyes of Nadab and Abai to offer strange fire. 
It seemed right to the eyes of David to commit adultery. It seemed right to the eyes of Judas to betray Yahushua. But God said it was wrong. And so we have to be careful, brethren, about thinking it seems right to your eyes. That's not a proper principle to uphold in our life. What is the principle we must uphold in our life? Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so what does this mean? In Thessalonians 5, 20, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. You see, this is what the people during the days of Jeroboam, this is what they should have, they should have done. Right? Instead of saying, Amen. Instead of saying to themselves, He is appointed by God. He is placed by God. Whatever He says is true. Whatever He says, we should follow, obey, never complain. What they should have done is test it. Wait a minute. Is this according to the Torah? Is this according to the law of Moses? Is this according to the Ten Commandments? You know it's not. They should have stood up and said to the king, that's against the will of Yahuwah. We're not going to follow you even though you're king placed by God. We have to test, brethren. We have to test whatever is being preached to us and keep what is good, but stay away from every kind of evil. In other words, follow this advice. Cling. Cling to what the word of God says, not to what men say about the word of God. Do not cling to the commentary of men about the word of God. Cling to the word of God. Test what these people have to say. And in our testing, keep what is good. Discard what is evil. Okay? So that we, we don't end up following the path or the way of idolatry. Instead, we find the, the way that leads to life, that leads to Yahusha and to Yahuwah. That is our lesson. Let us stand for our prayer. Almighty and gracious Father, Yahuwah, thank you so much for your blessings, enlightenment that you have shared with us through the written word of scripture. Indeed, it serves as our light and our guide. Help us to test all things that, Father, we will find only that which is good that we will implement in our life. May you bless us in this work of ours to worship you in spirit and truth. Help us to always test everything that we receive so that we can be sure it will lead to you. Our King Yahushua, you are our guiding light. You are the son of the living God. You are our Messiah. We focus our eyes upon you. May you perfect our faith as we journey in this life. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people all over the world. And have healed all of our sicknesses. For we ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.